Before we pick back up in our study of the book of Acts, and our study really is on the, the formation, the foundation of the Christian church. Now, as we pick back up on our study today, we actually see, again, some huge truths about the church, some foundational truths about the church. And in doing so this morning, I want to start off by saying uh, we should be reminded again we do not get to define the church. Uh, as much as we would like to, we do not get to shape the church. But rather, we should understand the church is God's institution. And because it is God's institution, He has defined it. He gets to shape it. And very simply, we are to submit to and we are to follow His lead. It is always an, an interesting thing to me now, when I hear of someone or a, of some group who is described as remaking the church, and sometimes there'll be a, a, a magazine article or you'll see somebody on a, on a news show somewhere and they're, they're remaking the church and people are, are celebrating that or they are redefining the church. Uh, I, I saw this week on Good Morning America uh, that the Pope uh, is updating the church in some crazy way that he is he is going to change some things that's going to make the church relevant again. They were applying that on that new show. I want to be very certain today. Be sure this is Jesus' church. He instituted it. He has defined it. He leads it. He is the head of it. In the Holy Spirit, He empowers it. And so I want you to be very sure there is no way to update the church. It doesn't need to be done. It is relevant already. It is the church of Jesus Christ. It is His church. Today our verses are going to be in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. We're going to again see some, some big truths, some foundational truths about the church. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Our sermon is entitled today, Walking, Leaping, and Praising the Lord. Walking, Leaping, and Praising the Lord. The Lord. I'm going to ask if you'd stand with me in the honor and reverence of the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 3, beginning here in the first verse, God's Word says this. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to sit down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Dear Father, we come today. We're thankful for you. We are thankful for the hope we have settled in the work of Jesus Christ. We're thankful for a Savior, the remedy for sin. We're thankful for the church that you have instituted, that you built, that you lead, that you instruct. Lord, we're thankful for the Word of God that is living and active. And I, I pray right now in this hour, in this service, that it would not be a lecture, it would not be the passing on of information, but it would truly be a supernatural event where you would speak the living God, would speak through your living Word. And we would be changed today. We would be instructed today. If need be, we would be corrected today. And Lord, I pray as always that in the preaching of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, that if there is one in this room, maybe many, Lord, that today would be the day of their salvation. Work in their hearts, Lord. Lord, we come and we tell you we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We exalt you. And we lay all this before you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. Already several times in our study, in just our first few chapters, we have come across some big subjects for us to, to think about, to wrestle with, and for us to settle as the church. We've passed through several of those subjects. The first one being that, that baptism does not save us. Uh, the second one being that we are filled with the entirety of the Holy Spirit when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And that is truly how we're saved, by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Well, today, as we continue in our, in our study, we come again to another big subject in the church. The big subject is this. Is healing a ministry of the church? Is healing a ministry of the church? Should we have healing services in the church? Should there be a healing ministry in the church? Should there be times in our service dedicated to or focused on healing, as some services, some churches do? Very simply, a very big question, is healing a ministry of the church? Now, we want to know the truth, and I'll just tell you again, we better know the truth. We understand today that false teaching of any kind is terrible. We, we are saved by the truth. We adhere to the truth. As the church, we are bound to the truth. We are guardians of the truth. We are proclaimers of the, of the truth. And so the, the question this morning is, so what is the truth on this Subject. And let me, let me just start off by saying this. It matters. It matters. Some would say, well, this is a fringe subject. This is not an important subject. And who cares if we have disagreements and we come to different ideas? I want to tell you today, it absolutely matters. We need the truth on this subject. Listen, just as any false teaching is dangerous, false teaching about healing is especially dangerous. Now, I've seen many faiths that have been shipwrecked. I've seen many faiths that have been hurt. I've seen many faiths that have stalled out because of false teaching on the subject of healing. And so yes, listen to me today, it absolutely matters that we adhere to God's truth, the biblical truth, when it comes to the ministry of healing in the church. And we're going to cross to this subject several times as we study through the book of Acts. But today I want to really lay out 
the foundation layout for truth for our understanding, the framework for our understanding every time we cross this subject of healing in the book of Acts. And so I'm going to go very quickly through these foundational truths and then we'll move to our verses today. Four things. The first is this. In the early church, healing always confirmed the gospel. In the early church, healing always confirmed the gospel. Healing wasn't the goal. It never was. Healing wasn't the end. It really can't be. But rather, the, the, the confirming, the thing was the confirming, the goal was the confirming of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you go read the accounts. Healing always validated the gospel. It always undergirded the gospel. It always confirmed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is why it existed in the early church. In the early church, healing always confirmed the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. In the early church, healing always pointed to and glorified Jesus. Understand that. In the early church, healing always pointed to and glorified Jesus. It was never about the church that it happened in. And you'll hear today, oh, have you heard about so-and-so church? Listen, it was never about the church that it happened in. It was never about the one who was being healed. Well, let's talk about the one and all oh, this one and their great faith. It was never about the one who was being healed. And listen, it was never for sure about the one who was doing the healing. Now, there's a bunch of these, these coochies, a bunch of these charlatans. And they say, oh, Benny Hinn, or oh, Kenneth Copeland, or oh, this person, or that person. And they are healing, and you go to them if you need healing. Listen, it always pointed to Jesus Christ, never to the person doing the healing. Amen. Now, let me give you some advice for free. This is just extra today. Lucky day. Bonus advice. How do you know? If any movement is of God. And that's sometimes they'll say, man, have you heard what's going on at this church? Man, have you heard what's going on in Houston, Texas? Man, have you heard what's going on out in California? How, how do you know if any, and, I, and I'm talking any movement, how do you know if any movement is of God? Listen to me. It is because it will be pointing to Jesus Christ. And I'll just tell you today, if there is anything that is being lifted up, other than the name of Jesus Christ, if they're talking about the healings and not Jesus, if they're talking about the person doing it and not Jesus, listen, if they're talking about the Holy Spirit and not Jesus, if anything is being lifted up other than the name of Jesus Christ, a false movement is at hand. And I'll just tell you, brother, you better run. A real movement of God always points to Jesus. The work of the Holy Spirit is to exalt Jesus. And when you walk into a movement of God, you will hear exalted the name of Jesus. Second thing, in the early church, healing always pointed to glorified Jesus. Third thing, in the early church, healing was always a witness to the lost. In the early church, healing was always a witness to the lost. Every healing account in the book of Acts 
that we're going to pass through included non-believers. Now, I say that makes a lot of sense. If it confirms the gospel, if it validates the gospel, if it glorifies Jesus Christ, then for sure it's going to testify to the lost. And so listen, it was always a witness to the lost. I hear about folks saying, well, there was this great service and these folks got healed. And I want to know how many got saved. I want to tell you, if God was working in that manner and those things were happening, folks would be getting saved in droves. It was always a witness to the lost. It validates the gospel. It points to Jesus Christ. And it is a testimony to the lost. That's the third thing. Here's the fourth one. Now listen very carefully on this fourth one. There's a lot of false teaching on this last one, this fourth one. Hear me very carefully. Healing is not a ministry of the church. Now I want you to listen before you get mad. You can get mad, but you've got to listen first. Healing is not a ministry of the church. People point to these accounts and they say, well, the church was a, was a healing church. The church is a healing church. And we, we look at these scriptures and they would say, well, they did those things in the early church, and so we should do those things in our church as well. And I've heard folks make that argument. Look, this is how it started, and this is what happened, and we should do those things as a church as well. Listen very carefully. The apostles had the ability to heal. They had the ability to do signs and wonders, miraculous signs and wonders. And listen, there's no doubt that they did them. It's in the biblical record. They did those things, but it was always to confirm the gospel. The apostles, yes, they had the ability to heal. They had the ability to do these signs and wonders. However, listen very carefully. The church was not a miracle-working church. Listen very carefully. The apostles were miracle-working ministers in the church. Now that sounds kind of complicated, but that's a big thing. The church was not a miracle-working church, but rather the apostles were miracle-working ministers ministering through the church. Now listen, healing is not a ministry of the church. Now we're going to become very clear that as we pass through our study of the book of Acts. I need to be very clear right here. And I need to clear the air right here. And, and this is where it always happens. Listen very carefully. While we do not have healing services, while we do not have healing revivals, while we do not advertise and promise healings, some will come and say, you know what, our pastor doesn't believe in healing. And I've heard that said about me, and I've heard it said about this church, and I've heard it said about me uh, to my face, personally to me. You know what? Our pastor doesn't believe in healing, and I don't understand that because you believe the Bible and you preach the Bible, but our pastor doesn't believe in healing. Well, I want to I clear the air today. I want you to listen very carefully. Our God is powerful. Our God is mighty. Listen, friend. Our God does heal. And 
he heals marvelously and he heals miraculously and in this day he heals instantly and he heals completely and I know some people that should have been dead. In fact, I thought they were dead. And I've seen it. And God healed them. And it was, it was to His glory. And He did it. And I believe it. Listen, He tells the church to pray for it. Listen, He answers the prayers of His people. Yes, you hear me today. He does heal today. Our God does heal. Amen. But healing is not a ministry of the church. We uphold the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We point folks to the truth of Jesus Christ. We pray. We have a ministry of prayer. We, we pray as a group. We pray as individuals. We have the ministry of prayer. But how would we have the audacity to come and say, you come this Thursday at 7 and we're going to heal all your infirmities. That is not a ministry of the church. Now let me just say this while I'm at it. This is something I, I want to always say. God does the miraculous. Listen to me. God does the miraculous. We serve a miraculous God. I expect this to be a, a supernatural service today. Our God, listen to me, does the miraculous. You be sure and hear that. Our God does the miraculous. Listen, and the greatest miracle we could ever see is that somebody would get saved. Listen to me this morning. The greatest miracle that we can see, the most awesome, mighty miracle we can ever see is that somebody would get saved, that they would be forgiven of the garbage of their sin, that they would be restored in a relationship with the Holy God, that they would be made new, and that they would pass literally from death over to life. And the greatest miracle we can ever see is for folks to get saved one at a time or in great number that folks would get saved. I'll just tell you this for the life of me. I don't understand why we're not impressed with somebody getting saved. I don't know how we're not blown away by somebody getting saved. Listen to me. I don't care if you sprout and grow another leg. I'd rather see somebody get saved. The greatest miracle of our God. Amen. As much as that sounded like a sermon, we're about to move to our verses. <laughs> Yes, he, he does the miraculous. Yes, he is mighty. Yes, he tells us to pray. Yes, I've seen tremendous things. But it is not a ministry of the church. All right, let's, let's take that foundation and let's move to our verses now. Chapter 3, verse 1. Here we go. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour. The hour of prayer. How much you understand? The church had formed. The, the church has been empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. The gospel is being preached. People are being saved. It says in great number, and 3,000 around it also says that it's happening daily. Some are being saved daily. The Bible says there is a sense of awe in the church. There is a sense of excitement in the church. I want to tell you, I love that. I, I think that's the most awesome thing. The church isn't some, some heavy duty. The church isn't some thing to come endure. They were excited about what God was doing in the church. Well, on this day, the Bible says, Peter and John are going to the temple. Now, the verb tense here indicates that this was their usual habit, their usual practice. It says that they were going up to the temple. 
It says they're going up at the ninth hour, which is the hour of prayer. This would have been 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, there was also an hour of prayer, a time of prayer at 9 o'clock in the morning, also at noon. The 3 o'clock hour of prayer also had the observance of the evening sacrifice. And so this was the highest traffic time of the day. There would be some that would come at night, some at noon, but the highest traffic time there at the temple would have been this ninth hour, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So there is a large crowd. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, verse 2. And a man who had been, had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to sit down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. Now, I want you to start to, to picture this event. I want you to start to see this event. The Bible says... A man who had been lame, who was crippled, who could not walk. Listen, he is being carried along. He's not going to get there on his own. He cannot walk. He had been lame. Every day the Bible says they set him down at this gate to beg, to beg for alms, to, to, to beg for, for money. That's what he did. That's, that was his every day. And so they're carrying this man. He had never walked. He could not walk. They're bringing him to the gate to beg for money. Now I want you to understand. This is his life. Can you imagine? This is his life. He, he's not going to do something good later. He's not going to do something enjoyable. This is his life. He, he is at the mercy of other people. They have to carry him there. Once he's there, they have to give him the money. Look, look, this is his life. He has no hope. For this guy, this is as good as it gets for him. A good day would have been a day if they brought a lot of money to him. This is, is as good as it gets for this man. For sure he's never going to walk. That doesn't even enter his head anymore. He doesn't even know what it would be like to walk. He's never walked. He's not even dreaming about that. He is hopeless. And his days, they drag him to this gate. They set him out there and he begs for money. And that's as good as it's going to get. Verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. Verse 3, here we go. He starts his routine. It says he begins asking. Now the verb tense there is it is, it is continual. He asks and he continues to ask. Could you spare any change? Sir, sir, could you, could you spare any change? Sirs, sirs, could you, could you spare any change? Do you have any change? Could you, could you spare any change? He begins to ask. And this is what's going to fill his day. Sir, sir, over there, could you, could you spare any change? Verse 4. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. Now I want you to see what happens here in verse 4. The word but here is a turning point. We've seen this. It means but rather instead. This is a normal day. This man gets up and he has no hope, but I don't know who carries him, if it's his family members or maybe some, some neighbors or close friends, but they carry him to the gate where he, he has spent countless days. I'm sure maybe he had a spot worn there where he spent his days, and it's going to be a normal day. Sir, 
Can, can you spare any change? But, rather, instead, Peter says, along with John, fixed his gaze on him. I, okay, I want you to see this. I want you to get this. All of these days, all of these days, all of these people, they go streaming by, they go walking by, nobody looks down to him. He's sitting there, he becomes a fixture there. They've heard his cry so many days before, nobody ever looks down to him. But as he sits there, he scans them intently. As they go by, he looks at their faces intently. And maybe, maybe this one will, will help me. And maybe, no, they're walking on. No, maybe this one will, will look at me. Maybe this one will, will help me. And he, he scans their faces. Have you got any change? He looks at their faces, but nobody ever looks at him. No one looks down to him. And they walk by. They don't even see him. You know how it is. If they see him, they ignore him. If they toss him some chains, they don't look at him. That would be too strange. And so he sits by the gate and he looks at them and he looks at their faces and he watches them go by and he sees them laughing and joking and living their lives and he looks at them, but nobody ever looks at him. But rather, instead, on this day, Peter and John glare at him. Stare at him. The, the translation fix their gaze. Their eyes are burning into him. They've set their eyes on him. In fact, they're not just glaring at him. They say, look at us. Verse 5. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Now he has to work the crowd. That's what he did. But now they're looking at him and he sees their eyes. And so I'm sure he thinks maybe this is his big score. They're walking by, they're looking at him, they see him. Maybe, maybe this is his big day. So he expects, the Bible says, to receive something from them. Next verse, verse 6, is an awesome verse. Now here, here's what I want to do leading into verse 6. I think sometimes we've read this verse three times and we've heard it in, in, in vacation Bible school or in Sunday school as a kid. And we say, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I've heard that verse. We become numb to this verse. I want you to see and understand about this verse. This is a real day. This is a, listen, this is a real event. Yeah, no, no, this is a real event on a real day, there was really a guy and all he could do is watch the people go by. He never even knew what it meant to walk. He didn't even dream he would ever walk. This was a real day. This was a real event. Now look at verse 6. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. Peter says, I don't have any silver I don't have any gold. I know that's what you're looking for. But listen, friend, what I do have, I give to you. Friends, listen to me. Do you actually believe that Jesus is better than silver? Do you actually believe that Jesus is better than gold today? I, I, I wonder if we actually believe that. As I read this, I imagine... Peter wants to pounce on this guy. I imagine Peter is burning inside himself. Oh, man, I don't have any silver. Oh, I don't have any gold. Oh, my friend, what I do have is better than silver. And it's better than 
I'm about to give it to you, friend. I imagine Peter burns inside. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk, he says to the man. In effect, here's what Peter says. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, the Nazarene, means he's from Nazareth, in that specific name, in that specific person, walk. Now I want you to notice there it says in. In that name. Listen, that's in the power of Jesus. That, that was him operating in the authority of Jesus. He gave that authority to the apostles. And so he says, in the name of Jesus, the Christ, the Nazarene. But don't forget this. Jesus Don't forget this. Jesus means nothing to this guy. I think we forget that. He, Jesus means nothing to this guy. He means absolutely nothing to this guy. If, he, if he'd heard of the healing of Jesus, which I bet he had, he hadn't healed him. He heard about all the healings he heard about. You know what? He's still crippled. He still can't walk. His best day is to sit here and to try to raise this money. Jesus doesn't mean anything to him. Because, because not only that, he heard that he died. He'd been executed. He knew that. The whole city knew that. There's some rumor about him being resurrected. That means nothing to him. He has to sit here. He's crippled. He needs money today. Jesus, the name of Jesus, meant nothing to him. He had no use for Jesus. Jesus meant nothing to him for just a moment long. And then it's never going to be the same. You know, I was thinking about that. And that's exactly how it is, isn't it? Jesus means nothing. Yeah, we hear his name. Yeah, we sing his name. Yeah, we hear all these things. Jesus means nothing until a moment when he means everything. You ever been there? Jesus means nothing to you. I've heard the stories of Jesus. Oh, I've heard all about this guy. Jesus means nothing until there is a moment and Jesus means everything. And for just a moment longer, this man has no hope. For just a moment longer, this is as good as it's going to be in his life. For just a moment longer, Jesus is just a name to him. For just a moment longer, this is what his day is going to entail, begging for change. For just a moment longer, Jesus is some name that, yeah, he might have done things, but he never did anything for me. And this is his life for just a moment longer. <clears throat> but in just a moment, everything's going to change. Here's that moment, verse 7. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. Now, I don't know when I read that who is more excited here. You have to understand that word seized. He doesn't hang in his hand and say, hey, friend, let me help you out. He seizes his hand. He grabs his hand. I don't know who's more excited here, whether it's this man or whether it's Peter. But he, he seizes him by the hand in the name of Jesus. Walk. And he seizes his hand. Verse 8. With a leap, he stood upright. And began to walk. And he entered the temple with them. 
Walking and leaping and praising God. <coughs> Remember, he had never walked. Not a day had he ever walked. It says from the womb forward, not a day had he ever walked since his birth. And he leaps up and he takes his hand and he leaps up and his legs become strengthened and he begins to walk. Now I want you to watch this. I thought this was crazy. It says he begins to walk and he begins to leap and he goes in with them. I thought, well, that's crazy. All the, all the things he could do, he goes in with them. But let me tell you, my gosh, where else would he go? And he goes into the temple of the Lord and he's walking and he's leaping and he's praising God. He's leaping. He's not, he's not just hopping around. He's not just trying out his new legs. This guy's jumping up. He's clear there. He's leaping around. I can't imagine that. This stuffy old temple full of these pious religious people day after day. And there's a man and like a deer cut loose. He is leaping and he's leaping and he's leaping and he's praising God. What an awesome day. That's a literal day. Verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Verse says all the people. Well, how would they not? He's in the temple walking and leaping and praising God. Praising God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He's walking and he's leaping, praising God. Here's what I decided. You know what we need some more of today? We need some more walking and leaping and praising God. We need, well listen, I, I'm, I'm being serious. We need some more walking and leaping and praising God. I'm talking about here at Calvary Baptist Church. And I'm not talking about some goofy, silly, trumped up thing. I'm talking about saved, redeemed, forgiven people that when they understand the cost of their salvation, when they understand the miracle of an empty grave, saved, redeemed, forgiven believers, not spending the day gossiping away, not spending the day cursing the day, not bemoaning the cruddy things in their life, not whining, not crying, but walking and leaping and praising the Lord. They're not going to run down people. They're not going to talk about how bad it is. They're going to walk and leap and praise the Lord. That's what we need more of in the church today. I was thinking about this. When's the last time we ever broke out of a service and just busted those doors and went outside, walking and leaping and praising the Lord. He's really he's alive. He's really from the dead. He's saving from my sins. Praise the Lord. I'm probably going to get fired by Tuesday. <laughs> this Wednesday, in, in our, one of our kids' class, they have a lesson on the Old Testament priest and that, that whole system. And they tie back into Christ and how there had to be the forgiveness of sin, the cleansing of the temple. Wednesday night, at the conclusion of that class, four of those kids, fifth and sixth graders, made decisions for Jesus Christ. Wednesday night. Their hope is seeming it on Wednesday night. 
They are eternally different as of this past Wednesday night. Listen, I, we ought as a church be walking and leaping and praising the Lord. Verse 10. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit. I think that's got to be crazy. Isn't that that guy? They're, they're taking note of him, the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple of Beg Alms. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Wow. What, what a day. What, what an awesome day. What an awesome day. His, his life is forever changed. I, I can't imagine. Who does he leave the temple? Who's he going to tell? I don't know if his parents are, are where they at. I don't know what he does. Does he run and say, hey, I'm walking, hey. And he jumps in their presence. Maybe he has brothers and sisters and a cousin. Maybe the neighbors been drugging there. He runs past them. His life is forever changed. And he's praising the Lord. He knows that God did it. Not only that, those that are lost around him, they can't deny it. And the Bible says they are filled with wonder and amazement. They can't put this away somewhere. They can't deny this. They are literally blown away. Listen to me, friend. Hear me this morning. That is still our God. He is still alive today. He hasn't gone off somewhere. He is still powerful today. He is still worthy of our worship today. He still saves today. Now, I want to tell you, knowing Him is better than silver. Knowing Him, walking with Him is better than gold. Listen, yes, it's even better than new legs. That is our God. Let me introduce you to Him this morning. His name is Jesus. He is the man of Nazareth, the man of Nazarene. And as a man, He came that He could save men. That's why He had to come as a man. He lived his whole life and he'd never sinned. And that's why having come and being tempted in every way as a man, not having sinned, he's able to offer himself for us. And so there at the cross of Calvary, all the sin of mankind, my, my sin, your sin, all the terrible, dark evilness of our sin is placed upon him. It says he becomes our sin. And so Jesus, the man, the Nazarene, the man from Nazareth, he goes and he becomes the filthy crowd that his father can't stand, that he can have no part of. He's the holy God. And he carries that sin of the cross of Calvary. And there they stretch him out and they nail him to that cross. And he receives the penalty for sin poured out on him. That's what the cross is about. But he's also the Christ. He's also the Son of God. He's the Savior that was promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. He's the Savior from God, the one that's anointed and marked. And so he comes and he takes the sin of the world and he bears it. He pays for it. He redeems as he goes and dies on that cross. But as the powerful Son of God, three days later he steps out of the grave and he is living and he is victorious and he is the risen Savior. And I want to tell you today, friend, he has a miracle for you. And that is the salvation of your soul, the forgiveness of your sin. Friend, that is our Savior. His name is Jesus today. By faith in Him, you can be saved. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come. I'm blown away by this account. Lord, I have to reset my mind to understand it is real. It's a real day, a real event. The power of God is on display. This man actually walked and leaped and praised the Lord. But then, Lord, I have to change my perspective and understand you're still that God. 
And you're still mighty, you're still powerful, you're still supernatural, miraculous in this day. And all of that was for all of this that folks might be saved. So Lord, I pray that the, the fruit of your gospel be born even this day, especially this day. Lord, I praise you for those kids that made decisions on Wednesday. I pray that they'll find a church that'll surround them, encourage them, teach them, sacrifice, guard the truth for them, pray for them, walk with them, present them growing, sanctified in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for some in this room today that do not know you. I pray that today in the hearing of the gospel, they seek, as they strive, as they look, as they can't find hope. I pray that today they realize there's hope, there's hope in Jesus. I pray, Lord, that today might be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray as we come to our time of invitation, I pray that you would move in the hearts of people. That you have spoken through your word and now you move. And I pray for decisions to be made. Pray for our resolve to be strengthened, for us to be encouraged. The lost be saved. I turn this over to you and I trust you with it. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.